Aalto University Podcast. It's a research about uh, positive emotions. So, so what the experimental research shows is that when you undergo positive effect, for instance, respect, contentment, joy, uh, it's easier for you to take the big picture uh, and putting it differently, uh, different uh, emotions, different effects have, as it were, cognitive uh, dimensions to them. So, uh, to the extent that you want to direct yourself to uh, taking the bigger picture, it's, it's, uh, it's good not to feel, for instance, pressurized and, and uh, to operate under fear on the average. Uh, similarly, uh, if you look at creativity research, the key concept that comes through creativity research uh, is the concept of uh, framing and reframing. This is because it uh, turns out to be uh, astonishingly significant regarding as to how you frame something, what's, what's the sort of overall perspective, o overall orientation from the point of which you look at the something. But often uh, the overall orientation, the framing that you in fact do is implicit. So you're not, you're not aware of the fact that you frame the way you do frame. For which reason, if you do manage to reframe, it can be uh, quite a small change, but it can still trigger non-linear uh, growth. So, so the next stage can be quite different in quite a terms to what you just had. If you just managed to reframe or something. So, so for instance, if you uh, reframe the way you see your ice hockey team to operate on the basis of some insights of, let's say, from football. It's possible that you can reframe the entire working better. Or uh, if, if you take that kind of framing further still, like to, to your own case. So, so very often when you go to, go to a situation, uh, you, you go to a situation from the point of view of kind of offense. So you sort of push in. But of course, you don't necessarily have to push in in order to, to, to make it in. You can also sort of step back and, and maybe allow the situation itself to operate. Would be one way to uh, use your ability as a human being to, to uh, undergo positive effect. This is yet another dimension there. Uh, find ways to use their network of social support. Now, uh, it, it seems pretty clear that as social creatures uh, turning to other people is pretty natural. But turning to other people can still be easier uh, or, or harder. Now, of course, any one of us already have, through the fact that we are human beings, through the fact that we have particular histories, through the fact that we have backgrounds and so forth, uh, we, we have a, a network, but the network can here and there, of course, be more active than it currently is. So this is yet another uh, dimension of positive emotions. A broaden their self, sense of self to include others. Uh, points to the fact that as a human being, of course, you can think about any situation, not only from your point of view, but from the point of view of those other people with whom you are in that whatever situation it is. And, and uh, on the level of 
people's personalities, of course, some people find it easier automatically, intuitively on the system one level, to include others in whatever the person already himself is engaged with. But of course, you can do that yourself more than you automatically would do. And, and the likelihood of that happening is increased if you are in positive emotional state. And final point, uh, broaden their mind and build long-term resources. Now, notice this idea of broadening one's mind from the point of view of through that broadening of your mind, building longer-term resources would seem like a pretty fundamental idea if somebody is, let's say, 25. But similarly, of course, you can say that, well, how about the person if he's 35, maybe 65? I mean, uh, life is lived ahead. So therefore, you could say that uh, when, when, when the future is concerned, of course, you want to have more resources. It's better to have more resources in the future than lesser resources in the future. But the catch is, to the extent that whatever benefit something delivers is in the future, of course it can, the present moment could be such that you want to optimize the present moment in such a way that you play it safe and only reach out to whatever there is that, that promises a more immediate reward. So uh, I, I find this to be the case basically with my teaching at the university here in Aalto, but also outside Aalto. So uh, if, if I'm giving a lecture, if I'm giving a seminar to a company, if I'm doing that with, with uh, some executive MBAs, no matter what the context is, typically the context is such that the benefit of whatever happens comes out only later. But not only that, it comes out in specific forms because it's that very individual that somehow comes up with something he or she wouldn't have come out had she not given a pretty, pretty uh, uh, intense reflection to the possibility. And she might have done that pretty intensive reflection uh, in a way that didn't seem to touch upon that theme in the first place, whatever then was the outcome. So, so uh, I mean, one very, uh, to me, powerful example of this is, uh, I, I think I mentioned uh, during our first day, my so-called Paphos seminar that takes place, it's in Finnish, uh, but it has been taking place uh, on the island of Cyprus since 95, so I've had 51 of those. And uh, quite a lot of people, of course, have come. Nowadays, it's a, it's a plane full, and and all kinds of people. So uh, in uh, 1999, one medical doctor came, and uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but but he was quite. Uh, uh, quite a famed medical doctor who worked with cancer. And these medical doctors, as a rule, they are extremely devoted to what they do. But when he was in the Paphos seminar, this particular medical doctor started to think from the angle of a kind of a dream. The dream being, uh, what would it mean if we would have in Finland, which is where he operated in, if we would have in Finland uh, one of the best private clinics for cancer in the world, what would be the color of, let's say, uh, the walls in the, in, in the place where patients wait for the doctor? Uh, how would uh, the doctors and nurse communicate? Would there perhaps be uh, some one nurse that would be devoted to the one patient so that when the patient comes, he or she always meets this one nurse? 
so so uh, this kind of thoughts start to start to come to his mind, and in a sense, from outside, you can say that it's sort of natural in that kind of environment where where you are outside your uh, normal everyday. It's it's warm, uh, people are warm, the atmosphere is encouraging. You have a lot of positive emotions, respect, gratitude, compassion, all kinds of positive emotions are uh, taking place in you. But the whole takes pl thing takes place for one week. But you're a medical doctor. Your passion is uh, to cure people with cancer. So in a sense, from outside, you could say that it's fairly natural, actually, to start to think about from that kind of angle. I mean, it's just a thought anyway. This is one of the instruments we have, the thought instrument. You can go with your thought instrument beyond what actually now is the case. So this is what he started to think. I didn't know it at the time. I uh, came to know about these thoughts only 10 years later. In uh, 2009, he contacted me and said that I'd like to show you something that started from Paphos 10 years ago. And, and uh, then we met. And it turned out that, in fact, there is a private cancer clinic with the name uh, Docrates. Not Socrates, Docrates. And, and, and this something took off mentally uh, in my seminar. And there it is even now. So it's going to turn uh, 20 years now. So, so the point there is that, of course, if something happens within, the probability of something relevant happening outside is increased. But the catch is, very often, we don't use the instrument we have within. And, and, and th therefore, you could say it's, it's almost like this uh, famous phrase of uh, Martin Luther King's hitting home. I mean, uh, there is interesting research into something that could be called could be called positive constructive daydreaming. So, so uh, it's uh, it can be demonstrated to be relevant. For instance, for uh, the amount of compassion you are likely to experience. Remember, you have of course the muscles for compassion all the time. Anybody you meet has muscles for compassion, but it could be the person isn't accustomed to using those muscles. So, so you could say that, well, if the person had engaged himself, engaged herself in something that researchers call positive, constructive daydreaming, the post post and, and this is something that we've been doing here. Uh, you, ha you have allowed your mind to start to wander around. So it's sort of day daydreaming because you are not pushing yourself to a particular conclusion regarding how you should do something that is on your task list differently. You might have done that also, but as a, as a result, as a, a rule, that isn't the case. Moral reasoning. In a sense, you could say that basically what we are all the time doing here is that we are sort of thinking about life from the point of view of good and bad. Some things are better for life than others are. So, so uh, thinking about the whole, thinking about uh, uh, the future, thinking about other people uh, introduces the moral perspective, a perspective that goes beyond you. Uh, also, if you say, if, if you seriously engage with the theme of the valuable and acknowledge the kind of challenges uh, that we pointed out in, in the first set, it's quite possible that you you, you, you start to engage in the kind of thinking which, of course, isn't intellectually speaking that complex, but you normally just don't do it. Simulating the perspective of another person. You know, you can start to think about uh, your parents at your age. And, and uh, perhaps also inquire into what was life like then? And, and uh, what were some of the challenges they met? What were some of the uh, obstacles that they met? What were some of the, when you think about it, 
pretty impressive moves, decisions, uh, and, and, and jumps forward that they perhaps did make. But this requires for you to put yourself into another person's position. Now, uh, for me, it would be surprising if to some extent you wouldn't have already done that. And, and, and because of the fact that the themes that we discuss here are such that they don't force you to limit your thinking to some specific domain only. So therefore, your mind can use that muscle. And also, there isn't a danger that when you use the muscle, something embarrass embarrassing comes about. Because there, we are in an a, a embarrassment-free zone, so to say. Uh, understanding the implications of emotional responses. So, so uh, when you look at people around you from the point of view of emotional response, you can also start to see something more, let's say, uh, in, a, in a sports case, like the one we saw with uh, synchronous skating. That one skater who uh, immediately when the performance is over, uh, uh, basically starts to cry, because she had really given her absolutely all. And, and uh, maybe she wasn't feeling that great before the, uh, uh, before the tournament. Maybe she wasn't really in the best possible form. Uh, uh, maybe there was some discussion of her being replaced. Uh, and you saw those replacement skaters. Uh, and, 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 but, but maybe it's still uh, the, the coach trusted in her. And, 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 and she, she, she did do it. So... so, so uh, it's, it's, it's this kind of uh, understanding the fact that a human being is like that. Even if you weren't exactly like that in the sense that if you give your all, uh, uh, you are close to tears, but you can understand how somebody else can be. Deriving meaning from events and experiences. Now, remember that uh, third dimension of intuition, as Astarami it uh, conceptualized. So in addition to the kind of ape intuition, in addition to the kind of professional intuition or domain-specific intuition, you have an intuition that relates to the meaningful. Now, uh, should it be the case that your, your intuition regarding the meaningful is enhanced as a result of you enrolling to this class? In, uh, as a result of you perhaps taking your time pretty seriously to also benefit as much as you can from the reflective essay, which is, uh, is pretty unusual uh, possibility in the course of the studies of most people in any university, a possibility to write about your life from the point of view of the significant. So, so, so maybe you go back to some of the experiences in your life and articulate further what's, what really is involved there. So, so with all this in mind, what I'd like to do next is, is something that, uh, how should I put this? Uh, well, you know, uh, certain developments, certain parts of, uh, 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 of, of the kind of themes we discuss are such that I'm particularly excited myself about them. Uh, I, I mean, whenever I go into a theme, I try to put everything I have regarding the theme to the, uh, uh, to the development, to, the, to whatever we are trying to do. But the next one. This is, uh, this is something that is, to me, personally quite inspiring. It, uh, it came, came up uh, quite a few years ago in a context where somebody asks me, Esav, you've read so much uh, during your life up until now. You've come to know so many interesting people. I'm sure there's somebody who inspires you philosophically, especially, in addition to Pipsa, of course. And, and, and uh, that there must be somebody. Uh, who might that somebody be, this person said. And I said, you're absolutely right. There is somebody. That excites me particularly when it comes to philosophy. And this somebody is 007. I mean, if you think about 007 philosophy, 
and ask yourself, what's particularly important about 007 philosophy? Point number one, I would say, is no matter what happens, 007 doesn't get irritated. For instance, if you take a look at the beginning of the film Moonraker, what happens there is that 007 falls out of an airplane without a parachute. Now, as this happens, if you ask, is 007 irritated? When falling out of an airplane without a parachute, this being a somewhat an irritating situation on the average. The answer is, of course not. Instead of getting irritated, 007 goes about to analyze the situation, paying particular attention to the question, are there any other flying objects around at this hour? Only to observe after an analysis that in fact there is one guy with a parachute a couple of hundred meters down. So observing the guy, 007 stretches his legs and angles into the optimal flying position and starts to curve towards the guy. But the key point there is that 007 doesn't uh, build his relationship with life too much on things being predictable. Now this of course doesn't mean that he wouldn't build to some extent his relationship with life to things being predictable. It's just to acknowledge that sooner or later something happens and one couldn't have predicted it. So, so uh, therefore the question is, well, when the something that is unpredictable happens, what's the best way to go about regarding the parameters I can control in such a situation that is unpredictable? Now, you could say that uh, we do have our ape intuitions. We, we have our evolutionary intuitions. There are all kinds of intuitions that easily trigger fear, that make kind of a peak uh, in the experience of a given situation. But when there is a peak uh, in the experience of a given situation, it very often isn't that good from the point of view actually operating in the situation. Uh, there's been uh, research into what kind of people make it in catastrophes. Catastrophes. Of course, there's a lot of luck that you need if you are in the midst of a catastrophe. But still some people have made it through catastrophes, so it's interesting to look into are there any common characteristics in these people that actually made it in a given catastrophe? It turns out that there are certain common characteristics, which doesn't mean that somebody who didn't have such characteristics wouldn't have made it, or that if somebody has these characteristics, then he or she automatically does make it. It's just that very often it's the case that you can concentrate on the next thing completely, something that uh, makes it more probable that you actually make it. So you can't think too far ahead in a catastrophe situation. You need to be able to focus upon the immediate case completely. Furthermore, it means that uh, re regarding the uh, next situation, you need to act on the next situation also immediately. So, so instead of feeling content of the fact that you made it through the first uh, uh, challenge, there's another challenge now. You just go with full force to the next challenge. And, and once it's, it's been clear, then, then the one after that. If you look at 007 films from this perspective, it turns out quite uh, generically that in a sense the the, the emotional state in which he seems to be is pretty much the same all along. Now, remember that we started today by me mentioning uh, Keith Jarrett, the jazz pianist. I'm pretty confident that the kind of focus that somebody who creates tremendous intensity into the flow of a given performance 
can't allow himself or herself be too excited about something in the midst of that something because it's only part of the bigger thing. Now, coming, going back to, to the stabbing episode that we discussed to some extent during our uh, first day here today, together two weeks ago, I'm, I'm quite impressed looking back at the fact that it, it really seems to me uh, when I tried to uh, simulate the emotions I had, that I was pretty flat. It was sort of the same feeling throughout the whole thing until it was over. It's, it's, uh, it is basically just a feeling of tremendous concentration. Now, the feeling of tremendous concentration, which is uh, something that I had also uh, quite strongly in the, in the morning just now, and which I hope we could achieve in this afternoon sessions as well, is uh, it's a positive feeling. But it's a positive feeling that is kind of, would I say, lukewarm. It's not a hot feeling. It's not a cold feeling. It's, it's sort of lukewarm. It's, it's, it's kind of like uh, uh, pleasant without really being even noticeable in terms of the warmth. So, so uh, it's, it's that kind of uh, pretty uh, constant over time kind of feeling that uh, research seems to indicate that if you want to make it in catastrophe, you somehow need to be able to find. And, and uh, of course, in some ways, you can say that that's a counterintuitive feeling because uh, in a catastrophe situation, just like in a sudden stabbing situation, you have good reasons to be fearful, for instance, to, 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 uh, to uh, your emotions shooting up in some direction. It's just that uh, your emotions shooting up in some direction might not help in pragmatic terms. So to the extent that we want to focus upon what actually works, it could be that 007 kind of principles, such as no matter what happens, 007 doesn't get irritated, might work. Now, I've been discussing this uh, overall theme of 007 philosophy for years. Already at the time, I would have my uh, Nokia lectures I mentioned earlier in the 90s. Uh, I, I love to talk about this because I, 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 I found it so personally inspiring. But early on, also to my surprise, uh, even if it's the case that 007, of course, is a man, most ladies found it rather easy to put themselves into this kind of perspective. So, so uh, a, a lot of people were excited about 007 philosophy, so, so I felt encouraged to use the example. So, so uh, I've been talking about this, you know, hundreds of times. Uh, and, and of course, when you exercise a muscle, you can expect that the muscle becomes strengthened. Now, looking back again, the stabbing episode, I would say it was quite amazing, the fact that I didn't really feel fear. I didn't feel agony. I mean, basically, and we've talked with uh, Jakob about this, both of us feel pretty much the same way. It basically was like, you know, a case, there's a case, let's take care of the case. And we took care of the case. And, and uh, it, it, it seems amazing, how is it possible that we were able to adapt such a framing for the situation? Well, maybe it somehow came automatically. But uh, for something to come automatically is enhanced the probability of if it has already been mentally exercised sufficiently. I believe this, this indeed was the case. So from my point of view, it's quite possible that the fact that I've been talking around the world about 007 philosophy, point number one, no matter what happens, 007 doesn't get irritated, might have been one of those things that saved my life. 
at least it's possible that, that for somebody it would happen that way. Now, think about the theme of self-respect. Um, I'm uh, aware of the fact that a human being has a tendency to slide to overemphasizing his or her own worth at the, at the expense of other people. However, should it be the case that you strengthen your appreciation of others? Should it be the case that you strengthen your respect for people uh, who are quite different from you in every respect, you can imagine, but you can find reasons to respect to somebody. Somebody has gone to better universities than you, somebody hasn't gone to any universities. It, it could be that, you know, uh, uh, somebody is, uh, looks great, somebody doesn't look that impressive. Uh, externally, but you can look at any peop any person or any part of life per itself from the point of view of respect. So that one might mean for you also the possibility to respect yourself as part of this something magnificent. So, so respecting you as part of this something magnificent wouldn't be away from anybody else. Wouldn't be something where you would uh, feel your self-respect to stand upon the shoulders of, of, of some others that you, as they're damped down. It's just that uh, as, uh, upon more careful reflection, you, you notice that, you know, actually there is quite a lot in me to respect. You know, wh when you look into the incredible ingenuity of the human body, I realized the fact that, you know, this, this describes me. You know, I have all this incredible whatever it is. This is a possible way to respect yourself more, but it doesn't happen at the expense of anybody else. Now, I would say this is a key feature of 007, self-respect. But to repeat, it's, it's not self-respect that uh, would, would, would uh, take its steam, would take its lead from putting other people down, it's just that uh, he stands with respect with whatever he has. Now, it might also have externally observable characteristics that are kind of superficial in the sense that it could be something different. So quite obviously, with 007, he has a particular kind of uh, dressing style. Uh, he likes to try particular kind of cars, for instance. So, so this is what somebody can be. He or she likes some particular kind of haircut. So, so uh, but the point is, if you're allowed to do things with your style, and if you know what your style truly is. To reflect something that comes from within, down deep, you create lightness. Lightness means that it's easier for you to do with efficiency whatever you want to do. If you can do it with style, and the style is your style, but it's not just your style in the sense that People are accustomed to seeing you to do the things that way or you being dressed that way, whatever it is. But it comes from within, from somewhere deep. Means that it's your style. So, so like, uh, early on, I personally realized that I like to give lectures in such a way that it would have an aesthetic quality to it throughout that it would somehow be like an like art performance, the lecture. I realized that this is not how uh, most lecturers think about lectures, but I felt, you know, I like to be able to do that kind of lectures. But the challenge there is that when it comes to art performances, there are all kinds of institutional features to art performances that support to somebody who is trying to make it as an experience memorable. For instance, the fact that uh, everybody's supposed to be there on time. 
So, so, uh, uh, and, and if somebody does come late, uh, uh, he or she comes very, very cautiously so as not to disturb the, the performance. But in lecturing, such a custom doesn't exist. So, so uh, it could be that one faces obstacles, but one can still feel that, you know, if I would be able to do that, I would create something that, in fact, would create, from my point of view, to the situation, as it were, a hidden source of energy. So, uh, to the extent I want it to be intense, that requires energy. Being focused requires energy, so it's good news if there's an extra tank from which to draw the energy. So basically, style. If the style is your style, if it's something that comes from somewhere deep within, that creates extra source of energy. But the problem is, most contexts don't automatically support your style. This is problem number one. Problem number two is, even if the context would support your style, you might not know what your style is. And the reason why you might not know what your style is might be because you haven't really thought about it. Because most of the things that you have adopted are completely contingently a function of what has happened to be the case. Also, it could be that to the extent that you have done something in some unusual way, Maybe there is uh, egoism involved to an extent that actually destroys the case to some extent. So, so, so it, it's, it's quite possible that, 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 that you push others down implicitly by overemphasizing yourself to be you know, the one that is supposed to do something as part of your style. So, so this is, of course, something that we have found is the case with some of the film directors. Because in film industry, if you're a director, the pressure is enormous. It's, 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 it's kind of astonishing how anybody can actually do it. So therefore, to the extent that you do things your style, it could be that some of the aspects of your style are such that they are somewhat questionable, morally speaking. But because of the fact that you can get the thing done that way. You maybe sort of excuse it. And, and then you adopt as your style something that actually is immoral. But it's possible because your behaviors are not mirrored back to you by people with whom you work. Your friends don't say that to you, hey, that, that's, that really doesn't, you know, you shouldn't do that. I think if you look at the case more carefully, I, I think you come to some conclusion. I mean, you know how I love you. You know how I respect you. I, I think you want to look more closely into your methods. It's a kind of deeper uh, uh, dialogue that people don't necessarily have a chance for. So therefore, finding one's own style won't necessarily happen. I would say in most cases, it doesn't happen. Also, if you think about it still slightly differently, here is, uh, here, here, I'm going to come back to this, uh, this discussion of, of 007 philosophy. But here is uh, one remarkable Finnish lady, contemporary to us, Emilia Lahti, they're running uh, this uh, image being uh, from uh, the time she was uh, preparing for her uh, ultra run across New Zealand, both islands, from top to the bottom. So, so this is uh, 50 marathons, 50. And, and this was because uh, she wanted at first to promote uh, the cause of uh, people becoming more conscious about domestic violence. She wanted to encourage the women to stand up. Uh, but it went beyond that pretty soon. It's a kind of uh, looking into 
inner sources of strength in the face of tremendous adversity. And, and uh, her slogan become uh, Sisu not silence. Sisu being the Finnish uh, term for kind of internal determination against all odds. Kind of uh, special persistence. Uh, now, she's been doing uh, her dissertation to Aalto on Sisu. And, and uh, I've had the honor of serving there as uh, the uh, supervisor of, of a kind, of technically at least. But she's very, very impressive a lady. So if you have a, a chance to ever hear him, hear, hear her, please do so. She has this, this, this light within. But when she was doing the run, I was surprised by the fact that she didn't want it to be too much sort of a, like a marketing, spotlight, big thing kind of event. To me, this was surprising. Because of the fact that it was, it was so obvious that she's, she's after something stupendous. I mean, this, this, this is awesome. This, this is absolutely star-like. But that's not her style. Uh, she, she, she wants to nourish uh, her humbleness. She, she wants to nourish this kind of attitude where whatever she presents is for other people. Uh, using the terminology from our previous set, it, it's almost like she, she wants to cultivate the third dimension of being valuable in a way that to me was quite counterintuitive. Uh, now, think about still differently. Here is... Uh, a photograph from uh, Tokyo. Behind there is uh, the Marimekko uh, uh, flagship store. Uh, th there is uh, Tina Alahuta Casco there in the blue dress. Uh, I know Tina quite well because of the fact that. Uh, She's the daughter of Matti Alahuta, but Matti has been one of my best friends for over 20 years. So, so uh, I've seen uh, Tina since she was uh, maybe 14 or so to grow. And, and uh, of course, when you are in the fashion industry, uh, there, there are all kinds of myths that surround that particular industry. And, and uh, also it could be, you know, generally in design, there's this sort of uh, uh, genius assumption that somebody has it. But Tina has always wanted to be a team player. She's quite amazing because she doesn't really, in any situation, in my opinion, emphasize herself that much. It's, uh, it's, it's in many ways, uh, her style, I think, is, is one that comes out of the ordinary, almost. So, so uh, given her overall style, I, uh, I've noticed that, actually, the way she's then running Marimekko, which, uh, which doesn't as if that aim at doing some dramatic jump all of a sudden in some direction but rather to, to, to uh, re-emphasize the beauty of what there already is. And then taking those further still, in that sense seems to work. That uh, during her time, uh, the value of Marimekko has tripled. But it has tripled without really anything that would be that dramatic. Of course, there's been individual cases like her able to be able to negotiate in Japan uh, something that very few have been able to do before her and stuff like that. But, but most of the time, it's sort of a style of being a CEO, in her case, of a fashion company that isn't really what you would have expected. 
you know, when uh, Mika Häkkinen, the Formula One driver, won the Formula One championship for the first time, he was openly criticized by the, at that time, owner of the television rights of Formula One, Mr. Egglestone, on the basis of the fact that he isn't the real champion because he doesn't, he doesn't behave like a real champion. The real champion being, according to Egglestone, uh, the one that was by this time the former champion and would, of course, again win the championship, uh, Schumacher, who had sort of the style of a champion. But Mika didn't have one because he was sort of more ordinary. He wanted to be ordinary. You know, uh, just uh, yesterday, Tommy Mackin and uh, a guy who uh, is running Toyota's uh, uh, rally car team won the Manufacturers World Championship. But Tommy's style is also unassuming. It's, I mean, his English isn't that great. You know, but then again, neither is the English of President Ahtisari, who won Nobel Prize for Peace, some kind of Oxford English. I mean, they're sort of pretty ordinary in some sense. This is a possible way to think about the theme of style. That may, may, maybe we tend to think about the theme of style as making the difference in wrong places. The right place would be it to resonate with something deep within you. But of course, the something can't resonate with something deep within you if you figured out what is deep within you. But this won't happen automatically. In order for your intuition in the third dimension using Astarami's conceptualization, in order for intuition to start to grow, you need to exercise the muscles. You need to go into situations where you can reflect upon the significance of things. Now, uh, there's going to be uh, seven uh, aspects to 007 philosophy. Let's move on to point number five, secret weapon. Now, with 007, of course, the secret weapon uh, basically is, uh, let's say, uh, it could be a pen, some special kind of pen, such that if, if you uh, push it in some particular way, some particular number of times, it shoots out a missile, which is good to have in his business, that kind of a pen. But of course, I mean, we don't need such a pen. I mean, basically, we don't need the kind of uh, equipment that is handy to have in, in the business of 007. But of course, you can still have a, a secret weapon. In fact, this is what we learned Mandela to have had. He had a secret weapon on Robben Island. Nobody knew about it. And why didn't anybody know about it? Because you couldn't see it. Why couldn't anybody see it? That's because it was inside him. It was a poem that he knew by heart. And this was such a powerful poem from his point of view that he could recite it in his mind and draw strength from that. That was his style. So, so uh, I mean, you can say that very often when it comes to uh, this particular country in which we are located now, many of the very best don't really strike you as being that impressive. Now, of course, you can say, well, that's partly because of the fact that the Finnish culture is pretty small. So in a small country, small culture, if somebody is a star or a superstar, uh, he or she is still sort of like the guy from next door or the lady from next door. So, so uh, there isn't that kind of hassle around 
anybody in this country. Like you would expect and know is the case if you go to bigger countries. So, so where there is a, 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 a kind of a, a uplifting context that emphasizes the specialty of the somebody who is a four-time Oscar nominee, let's say. And, and, and who crossed such and such from what, so and so. So you could say that uh, this, this fact that, uh, that, that uh, in, in the kind of culture like Finland, even when something stands out, it doesn't really stand that big out. Uh, it's, it's kind of a negative thing, somebody could say, but you could say, but that's, this is great. This is a secret weapon. Because what that means is that it's easier for you to stand on the same level as compared to anybody. For many people, this is good news. And, and, and uh, in fact, I would say that when it comes to Nokia's miracle years, this is part of the explanation for Nokia's miracle years. Because uh, nobody made any big number of themselves. Now, the theme of secret weapon to me was hit home Years back, when I was traveling in New York with my special lady, who at that time was still working for Finnair. So she was uh, working as a stewardess and as a purser for Finnair. So I'm in the crew bus on the way to uh, JFK in New York. And what happens in the crew bus is that the captain uh, of the crew, certain Captain Laine, now retired, but he's a senior captain, quite respected, uh, said to me in the crew bus, Esa, would you be interested to come to the cockpit for takeoff? And I said, uh, is that possible? That would be great. So there am I in the cockpit. As we are taxiing towards the runaway, we come to the end of the runaway, we get the permission to take off, and as this happens, Captain Liner seated on the left, picks up the microphone and announces to the cabin, we are now ready for takeoff. Cabin attendants, please be seated. Then he uh, adjusts his seat just a little bit. Then they uh, look at uh, him and the co-pilot, each other to the eyes, and, and uh, as if saying, okay. And then he starts to push the uh, accelerator up as the co-pilot is announcing key parameters. And then at the right moment, he takes this huge aircraft up. This is a great experience to, to undergo there. And something that sometimes comes handy to me, in terms of the energy import involved, or the, the emotional content, which is uh, placed somewhere in my internal system, it's uh, sometimes quite useful to access that energy. Because in my profession, some of the things I do, I do in my study, but some of the things I do, I do in front of an audience. Now, one of the key features of a performing uh, artist, and I myself strive to be one in some special sense. So one of the key features of a performing artist is that you want to give your best each time. But it's clear that you don't feel at your best each time. However, of course, you can make yourself to some extent feel better you than you might automatically if you have access to some extra resources. If you have sort of a secret weapon, which could be just before going to the stage, me saying in front of, inside of me, okay, it's a, it's a tough call because uh, I've slept so badly. I think I have flu coming up, uh, but I'm going to make it. 
uh, and I'm going to make it because I'm a professional. So this already gives me strength. But I can push the case further still and just repeat to myself in my mind, we are now ready for takeoff. Cabinet attendants, please be seated. So, so saying that in my mind while thinking about that cockpit there at JFK just gives me strength. It's, you could say it's, it's kind of childish, it's kind of strange, it's sort of freaky, yeah, but it happens. Uh, it doesn't happen automatically, sometimes it doesn't function, but very often it does function. But the point is, this is a possibility for you to turn to within and find this kind of sources of internal strength to which you can secretly turn. Point number six, the Bahama Principle. The Bahama Principle says the following. Uh, with 007, of course, when he goes on to investigate a case, a typical logic is one where he starts from, let's say, Hong Kong, and, and then uh, after some jumps here and there, after some uh, uh, preliminary steps, he ends up, let's say, uh, in the Bahamas. And in the Bahamas, it turns out that there is some uh, crazy billionaire who's about to blow up London in seven minutes' time. And in order to take care of the case and do that by the textbook, you would need uh, a major... Uh, special forces operation to that effect, but the bad news is you don't have time to get the special forces. This is the bad news. The good news is you are there. This is the 007 principle number six. It's a, it's a principle of personal responsibility. You are going to stand up and take care of the case. Now, uh, notice that this kind of thinking requires for you to have articulated what you are all about. Uh, because it could be it's too late now to start to think about it. So, so, so uh, again, thinking about the snapping situation, most definitely I felt about Jaco there by my side that Jaco is not going to yield no matter what happens. He had already thought about it. Uh, it, 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 most of the he hadn't thought about it, you know, what would I do if somebody would all of a sudden stab Esa? It's just that he had been thinking generally, you know, I want to live a life where I stand up to what I believe in, even if the situation is totally unexpected. And this is because, and this is now the last point, because you have majesties. Now, uh, you could write it out in the case of 007, with the line, uh, 007 is in Her Majesty's Secret Service, and think that it refers to uh, who's paying the salary of 007, but I would say that's too literal. That the, the real principle says 007 serves majesties. In order for somebody to serve majesties, somebody needs to know what the majesty is in his or her case. But it means that, should it be the case that you face the former 006, who knows all the tricks that you know, but because of the fact that he's on the other side, he doesn't have what you have in terms of the majesties. And therefore, eventually you are going to win. This is the majesty principle. To me, this is a reminder of the fact that uh, there could be all kinds of short-term operative reasons why something might be a good idea uh, on the face of it. So, so, so you sort of slide from the truth you, you might slide considerably from the truth. It could be that you believe that actually you can get some certain appointments through. I mean, even if you are a representative of the party of Abraham Lincoln, who famously 
at the end of his inaugural speech, referred to something he described as the better angels of our nature. So even if you are a representative, let's say, in the U.S. Senate of Abraham Lincoln's party, of course you recognize that, hey, this, this guy is getting appointments through. I mean, there are certain things that he can actually get done when it comes to tax reductions. I mean, uh, he might uh, occasionally uh, uh, interpret things his way, but uh, I mean, he's delivering. Might mean that you start to slide somewhere. I mean, this is a universal case. But the alternative is that you have majesties. I mean, the fact is that uh, for many people, I would say, from now on, it's very hard to think about you as Marines. Quite the same. Because a lot of people have secretly or not so secretly admired U.S. Marines. But then you hear that there is a general of U.S. Marines who is the chief of staff at White House right now. We haven't heard anything from him. So, so uh, you know, majesties need to mean something. And what this means, and now I come to uh, something that is, is, is quite powerful. It's, uh, to me, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's something that came up. Uh, it, it, it's something that came up. Uh, Uh, after one Paphos seminar, was maybe two years ago, there was a lady in the Paphos seminar, maybe two years ago, maybe three years ago. Uh, he came again uh, this, this summer. She came again this summer. Uh, but she worked for, uh, for, for uh, Plan Finland. And through Plan Finland, she worked for the international plan. Uh, and... and uh, the case of girls, for her, was uh, a major majesty. So, so she pointed out, pointed this this video to me. So let me now uh, share it with you. Because I'm a girl, I love braiding my sister's hair, dancing and playing with my friends. Drawing diagrams and solving equations. Because I'm a girl, I have dreams. When I grow up, I want to be a doctor, a judge, or maybe a scientist. And I dream of having a family with my true love. But I know that none of these dreams will come true. Because I'm a girl, I'll be forced to drop out of school like so many other girls my age. Because I'm a girl, boys bully me. Men desire me. School is no longer a safe place for me to be. Because I'm a girl, I get up first and cook and clean. I come last in my family. Because I'm a girl, I have to get married at 13. Have babies before my body is ready. And have more children than I can keep healthy. Girls like me, without an education, are the poorest on the planet. We have no control over our lives and no way out of poverty. I know that staying in school would mean a better life than my mother. Then I could lead the way for my sisters and friends. We could decide our future, when to marry and which job. And together we could show everybody how girls make the community stronger and richer. The people at PLAN see the potential in girls like me. 
They'll help me stay in a good, safe school, find new and better ways for my family to earn money, and give me skills for life so that I stay healthy and be all I can be. Give me a chance, and I'll take it from here. Because I am a girl. I mean, the, the, the fact is that, 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 that there, there are things to be done, and, and, and some of the things to be done are more meaningful, more significant than so the other things. Uh, but you won't know uh, what, what truly counts if you don't weigh things against the theme of majesties. But you won't do that if you don't take the time to do so, and even less if you don't even figure out what your majesties are. So, so what, what I hope one of the legacies of these little seminars of ours would be, from your point of view, would be a commitment to such a reflection all your life. This is basically the uh, Socratic principle, the principle of uh, an unexamined life is not truly worth living.